Well, you're very welcome in the presence of the King. If you're regularly here, then you'll know we've been doing this series in Ecclesiastes. And, um, well, I hope you're finding it challenging. I was certainly challenging, isn't it? I had somebody say to me the other day that they'd never realised quite how relevant Ecclesiastes was to today. But it is, isn't it? So we're going to carry on today. Arguably one of life's greatest challenges is growing old. (laughs) I played five-a-side football on Friday. I don't know where Alan's gone, but he was here a minute ago. Me and Alan were playing. And uh, I was gone to work, see. Oh, okay. And uh, anyway, we were running around. It was all the old boys. And we kept putting a pass that we couldn't quite catch. (laughs) And looking at each other going, God, 30 years ago I might have got that, but not today. It seems that one of the things that we most want to avoid in life is, in fact, growing old. In fact, we spend lots of time, energy, and maybe money trying to stay young. So especially for you this morning, I have some top tips on how to stay young. All right? There are 30 of them. I might not do them all. But if you want to find out what what the rest of them are, this is what you need to know to stay young. Number one, be happy. Number two, eat vegetables. Number three, avoid sugar. Number four, men, you're going to love this one, moisturize. (laughs) Number five, don't raise your eyebrows, if indeed you haven't plucked them already. No, that was my extra little bit. Number six, sleep. Number seven, eat fish. Wear sunscreen. (laughs) Don't smoke. Step out of your comfort zone. Now, for some of you, that could mean sitting at the front in church. Oh! That was completely unplanned. Anyway, but it'd be lovely if you did because it always encourages the speaker if you sit near the front. There you go. Take vitamin D. Eat fruit. Men, don't have to worry about this one. No foundation or powder makeup. Apparently that's not going to keep you young. Hydrate. Whiten your teeth. Eat beans and lentils. Strength training. Here the list goes on. Oh, kill your television. Apparently that's going to help you stay young. Don't stuff yourself, quote. Eat nuts, avoid dairy, avoid processed meat, no processed carbohydrates, coconut oil, and here's the best one, red wine. That's two Sundays, the vicar said, drink wine. Ecclesiastes is all right, isn't it? The teacher has something slightly different to say. Let's read together. Ecclesiastes 11 from verse 7 through to chapter 12, verse 8. Life is sweet and it pleases eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few... And those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. 
When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the street. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. One thing we know from the teacher so far is that he is not in any way trying to avoid telling us how to avoid getting old. That's not his point. Actually, he hasn't really been teaching us anything about how we handle getting old. He's been teaching us about living well in the light of our certain death. His teaching has been about helping us to see the truth that our death can shape our life. But here in these verses, the teacher does now talk about aging and growing old. He is refreshingly realistic about the challenge of the aging body and the truth about dying. But the teacher is not going to talk about it in the way we might expect. He's going to tell us to rejoice, and he's going to tell us to remember. You might remember from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that the teacher began with a description in poetic form of the cycle of nature. There generations generations come and, and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Here in these verses, it is the cycle of the young who become old. And as we read these verses, we may make a mistake in understanding what the teacher means by young and old. In verse 8, the teacher makes the point that he has actually made before, but it's a really important point. He says, however many years anyone may live. You may live a long life, maybe, maybe not. The teacher says, maybe. The point here is that the teacher is probably not so much talking in these verses about old as in age and young as in age, chronological age. More likely, he is talking in relative terms. How many times have you heard someone say something like this? Well, I'm not actually getting any older. And you look at them, and you think, I'll be kind, and I won't say anything. Or some people say, well, I don't feel any older. Or they might say, well, I'm still young at heart. Well, that's the kind of thing the teacher is driving at here. We have to face the truth that sometimes our body does get to the point where it won't work physically and our mind ceases to work properly as well. The teacher's point here, though, is that until that happens, grab hold of life. And grab hold of it in the same way that young people often do. The teacher is saying, grab hold of life in all the ways you can, while you can, however old or young you may in fact actually be. It may be that one day you can't enjoy it in the way you can now, so live now. You know, that's one of the main reasons I still turn up on a Monday night at a football club, which I think I've been doing for about 13 years now. Zach was 6'5 when he started, he's 18 now. I've been going every Monday night. And one of the reasons I don't stop is because I know one day I won't be able to do it. Some people on a Monday night think I now can't do it. (laughs) You were out, Alan. Alan's come back. He missed my point. We were old men together, weren't we, Alan? 
running around looking and going, 30 years ago you'd have got that pass. Sorry about that. But we keep doing it while we can. You get the point. We might expect the teacher to talk in this kind of way because that's the kind of thing he's done all the way through the book, isn't it? But here's what we might miss and what we might not expect him to say. The teacher in verse 9 says this. Let your heart give you joys in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. It seems the teacher is saying, find the joy in life. We've bumped into that already, haven't we, a couple of weeks ago. Go and enjoy your glass of wine. I've got, I've got more comments about that than anything I've ever preached on. <laughs> well, you laugh. I think that's quite sad. <laughs> There's much, much more important things. Here, though, it's spoken of in the way of a command. The teacher seems to be saying or giving a command of God to enjoy life in all the ways you can. So is this an invitation to do anything goes? Well, you see, (laughs) you're all so wise you're shaking your heads, but maybe you've missed the point. Seems that, well, is, is God saying this, right? Go enjoy life, but not too much, and don't forget I'm watching. Well, that's how I was brought up. I don't think anybody actually said that to me, but that's what I learned. And friends, we're going to get onto this a little bit later. What are we teaching our kids? Serious point. We're going to come to that in a minute. Well, you can read the text that way if you want to. But if I'm honest, I think there's many of us live like that. Go and enjoy yourself, but not too much. I spent half my life feeling guilty about what I shouldn't be doing as a Christian. I, I still wrestle with that. I even asked my wife if it's all right if I get up early on a Friday on my day off and go and play golf because I know I've got to go and revise for an exam that I'm doing because I'm doing it for the life of the church. I I, I struggle with that still now and I expect you do in lots of different ways. We know as Christians we can enjoy life but not too much. Uh, We often get into a bit of a mess trying to figure it out, don't we? And maybe we err on the side of caution more than God actually wants us to. But maybe the teacher's driving at something else, something slightly different here. Something better, but something equally challenging. Perhaps a better way of understanding this is that the teacher is saying that one of the things that God will hold us accountable for is our enjoyment, or not, of his world. Now there's a thought. God might actually hold us accountable for how we did or didn't enjoy the world that he gave us. Enjoyment is, in fact, a gift from God, and God will ask, what did you do with what I gave you? God gives because he just loves to give. And we've sung all this already. This this worship's been beautiful. The goodness of God. God gives because he is good. By enjoying the gifts God so generously has lavished upon us, we show that we have grasped the goodness of God. The more we have grasped the goodness of God, the more we are able to enjoy his gifts. Go enjoy life. So the teacher asks, how are you doing? When God gives gifts, what he most wants is to see his children enjoying his gifts. So how are you doing? You remember Adam and Eve? 
You need to say yes to that, otherwise I'll be really disappointed. You remember Adam and Eve? Uh, Well, one of the most fundamental things that happened in the Garden of Eden was Satan planted the seed of doubt about God's goodness in the minds of Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Oh, he sowed into their minds the thought that somehow God was withholding something from them. They allowed that seed to take root and they doubted the goodness of God. They wanted on their own to get for themselves that which they thought God had not given them. One commentator writes it this way. This was the nerve the serpent had touched in Eden to make even paradise appear an insult. I think that's a very powerful statement. This was the nerve the serpent had touched in Eden to make even paradise appear an insult. God, this isn't good enough. So how are you doing? Here's the challenge, I think. Not to live joyfully, gladly, deeply from the wells of God's abundant goodness, the goodness that he has lavished upon us, is in fact a sin. It's a sin because it questions, even perhaps denies, who God is. To live with joy is to live in the presence of who God really is. Joy is not contingent on my circumstances, on how my body is, or how old or young I may in fact be. Joy comes from knowing the nature and character of God himself. So here's the truth about God's nature and God's character. You are loved more than you will ever know by the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the majestic, gracious, compassionate God. You are right now. He loves you Because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. You are always and have always been on his mind. You are part of his dream and he works all the time to keep that dream alive. That you and he can know each other. He notices you. Every detail of your life, he notices. He will never give up on you. Never, never, ever give up on you. He is always behind the scenes, waiting, longing, hoping, loving. His arms are always ready to welcome you, to support you, to hug you, to carry you. He'll do anything he can to win you. He longs to guide you, protect you, rescue you, help you. He takes great pleasure in giving gifts for you to enjoy. 
He is the master gardener who toils over you with great care and compassion and who longs to see you reach your full redemptive potential. He finds great joy in planting in your life. His knowledge of you is more than you know yourself. He is able to do all things well. He is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. He is always in everything working to bring about good. He is faithful to all his promises, to everything that he said and everything that he's done. Nothing you can do will make him love you more. So stop trying. And nothing you can do will make him love you less. So go enjoy life. He can't love you any more tomorrow than he loves you right now. And he is the one who lavishes good gifts on his children. So the teacher says you have a choice. In the light of that, you have a choice. You can choose to see God's goodness to us each day and live in constant wonder at his daily provision. Or we can choose to doubt God's goodness to us, believing that he is withholding his best from us, causing us to feel slighted by God and others and allow bitterness, not joy, to be our experience. And the teacher says that one day we will be called to account for the way we have embraced the gifts that God has lavished upon us. So how are you doing, friends? So the teacher invites us that we rejoice, that we rejoice in life, but he also says that we must remember the truth. Now, if you want to go away and read this, you can have some fun with chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, because some commentators see this as a description of growing old, and maybe it is. And you can um, go and see what you can find about your body in verses 1 to 8. So, for example, um, who were the keepers of the house? What are the grinders? I'll give you a clue. That might be your teeth. And in here they all fall out, right? Then there's the blossoming of the almond tree. There's the windows might be your eyes. Well, you can read it literally if you want to, and some commentators take that view. And you can go through and see what's going to happen if you don't already know. Um, others take a different view, and they look at a bigger picture. And they interpret those eight verses as talking about the gradual but inevitable end of the world. So it's the world that's falling apart and eventually will end. And maybe that's a good view. Maybe, maybe they're both right. And it does certainly talk about aging, and it does certainly point to the, point, the truth that nothing's going to last forever. Now, I want to take a slightly different approach, but one which I think links with what we were challenged about, a body talk, a couple of weeks ago. And if you weren't there, a body talk, I invite you to get the minutes, because then you'll read about what links with what I'm going to say now. 
We were challenged at Body Talk a couple of weeks ago to think about how we might help our children and our young people in their Christian lives. And we spent time in groups thinking about how we would do that. I think the teacher might have something to say to us about this. Um, Perhaps he suggests through these words that children and young people need to be told two things. We must teach them the truth about the reality of death. Now that's not meant to be a harsh statement. It is in fact a profoundly deep expression of love. We have to tell them the truth. Young people often think, feel and live as if they are indestructible. And some of us a little bit older than that might still be feeling we are indestructible. Maybe sometimes they live in ways which they think don't matter. Friends, we must teach them and tell them the truth about how life really is. And some of you were here yesterday at the um, discussion about mental health. And one of the things that came up in one of our groups, uh, it was talking about sex education and all that kind of stuff. And um, I didn't raise the question, but I just talked to Sue about it this morning. Because it seemed to me, and I'm not sure if this is actually what they were saying, but they're going to school and talk about sex. What they don't say very much it seems to me is you you can you can wait until you are married that is a legitimate option for you to take and it seems to me if we're not careful as christians we pander around the truth and we tell them all i get it i get a lot of them aren't going to wait i get that i get we want to keep them safe i get that but why will we not tell them there's another option that's perfectly legitimate why do we run scared of it why do we have to be embarrassed about that but we do don't we we fob it off and we say, oh, we can't say that in school because I'm a Christian and I'll have to do that. No, you don't have to tell them you're a Christian. You can just give it as an option. It's an option. Sorry, I'm getting passionate now. That really ticks me off. Sorry, it does. Let's stop pandering around the truth. Let's tell them the truth. We know knife is not perfect, but let's at least tell them the truth. I know. I know. Exactly. I get it. And I know why. I believe me, oh, I need to go into that. I've had massive criticism when I was a governor at a school because of sex education. Because I didn't say the right thing, according to one parent. I happen not to agree with that. But anyway, that's the point. But it's out there. It's a discussion. And I've got completely lost in my notes now. <laughs> the point is this. We must not pretend life is otherwise than it is. And we must tell them the truth. Now, I realize that's a challenge and I have failed dismally. But we must tell them the truth. We must teach them their true identity and their true value because they're finding it in all the wrong places. And the statistics that came up yesterday, pornography, I don't, it was something like, I'm going to get this wrong now, in one year, I presume this is globally, something like 500,000 years of pornography. So presumably that means if you watched it, started one and watched everything you could watch, you know, in, in linearly, It would take you 500,000 years to watch it. And people are watching that in one year. It's extraordinary. We have to tell the truth. And we have to to teach them where their true identity and their true value is. I nearly said sermon over, but that would be a lie. I have more to say. Um, Okay, so that's the first thing. We have to tell them the truth. Secondly, maybe the teacher is saying... um, 
We need to teach them how to live in response to the lavish goodness of God. Now, how are you doing on that one? Uh, How do we do that? Well, I think the answer is actually profoundly simple yet profoundly challenging because I think it's this. We must live out our lives in front of them so they see what it means. I don't know if you could see this down here this morning, but little Adam, (laughs) I don't know what you were doing in worship. When you worship, what are you teaching the kids about worship? Ah, worshipping God. Well, I don't know what that's about then. Now, I get we all worship in different ways. I I know that. Little Adam down here, he had the right name. I think we used to do this dance to Adam and, right? (laughs) He was down here, wasn't he? And mum and grandma had to join in. You didn't like it, but you had to join in, didn't you? Yeah, they were there like this. They were looking, oh, whoppy boo. And I I didn't want to look around and think, well, what are the Christians in here doing? How are they worshipping God this morning? How is it affecting them? Little Adam... What does he know about God? I don't know. Probably something. God's speaking to him. God's got him in the palm of his hand. A little Adam's there. Way! He's loving it. I'm not sure everybody... (laughs) You get my point. We have to live our lives out in front of these things. So how are you living your life out in front of the children and young people in this community and the communities you go to? What in truth are we teaching them? What are we in truth teaching them about God, his goodness, the best way to live? By the way, we live in front of them. Here's a quote I came across, which I think is very powerful. Do not seek death. Death will find you. But seek the road which makes death a fulfillment. Do not seek death. Death will find you. But seek the road which makes death a fulfillment. How about you? I trust and hope that you have found the road which makes death a fulfillment. How are we going to help the next generation find that road too? Amen.